Welcome to Data Savvy Educational Leadership, where we talk about all things related to leading a culture of data-informed instruction for your school. I'm Leah Torres with Education Foundations. I'm Heather Peltier with Education Foundations. And Leah and I have both served in leadership roles at the school, district, and state level. And we love sharing our expertise in high-impact data use strategies with other educational leaders. Today, we're going to be talking about creating a school culture of data-informed instruction. And as a first part of that process, we're going to talk you through how to examine your school's current culture of data use. As you're listening to this podcast, if this topic of shifting your school's culture to one of data-informed instruction is one that really resonates with you and you're wanting to dig into this a little bit more, if you go to our website under the resources section, there's an option where you can download a digital reflection notebook with all of the questions that we're going to talk through for the five aspects of culture that we're going to consider. And so you'll be able to print this out and use this to accompany your reflection as you're looking at the type of data use that's happening on your school campus. Or if you're at the district level, on those multiple school campuses across your district. In order to really have this conversation though, we need to talk about what we mean whenever we say student data. Because a lot of times people think student data and they go straight to assessment results. But actually, when we're talking about this, we're thinking about any information that you've gathered that helps you form a complete picture of your students' learning and needs. So this might be assessment results, but it also might be attendance data. It may include demographic information. So things like whether the students are English language learners, their socioeconomic status, any demographics that could be relevant to the question that you have about student learning and that may help you better understand your students and thus better support their learning. It could also be information that you've gathered about students' specific disabilities or the accommodations that they need in order to be successful in class. It could be social emotional information that you gather. And Leah, I know this is something that you have done a good amount of work with with your district in terms of collecting and using that social emotional learning data. And then looking at things like that relationship between self-regulation and students' academic achievements. And what we saw is that is tied to academics and that our most struggling students are struggling social emotionally along with behaviorally, possibly in the classroom and attendance wise, and then plus academically. But trying to differentiate between different supports, a lot of times when we're thinking about an MTSS structure, we don't think necessarily about the social emotional piece or this life skills piece. And we brought that in to say, is there a support that isn't academic that the students needs to be successful moving forward with their academics? If you're trying to teach a student to read and they can't regulate their emotions, and then it just becomes a behavioral piece in the classroom. So that's some work that we were doing really coming out of the new COVID world with students who are just still struggling emotionally in schools because they were out and had interrupted learning. When we talk about student data, we may also be thinking about MTSS status or what intervention tier are they on, or there could be other qualitative data that you might be gathering on your students. 
So this might be things like student interests, their career goals. Leah, I know you've also done a good amount of work with your district in terms of using that career goals survey to really help align instruction with students' interest to enhance that engagement. Helping that motivate students to be in the classrooms and understanding why literacy is important or why math is important. You have these goals and it's also updating ourselves with this new generation to see what they're interested in because there can be a pretty large disconnect, especially the younger ones. They all think they want to be social media influencers. And what does that mean? What does that take? Making it so it's relevant to their lives can be really key in those situations, which is why it's not just about the academics. Sometimes it's about looking at the whole child and what they're interested in to help them with the academics. So when we say data here, we're talking about any data that can really help you form a complete picture of students' learning and students' needs. We're not just talking assessment, although assessment data is a big part of this piece. And why are we talking culture today? The reason we're doing that is because we have seen so many initiatives set up for failure because a new leader came in and was very excited about a project, had a particular interest, and laid down expectations, asked the school to participate in conversations about their students and about their data. And the groundwork, unfortunately, was not laid And when the groundwork is not laid to really shift that culture, get all of your teachers on the same page, then what's going to happen is your teachers will have that sense of this too shall pass. It's just another initiative. We need to write it out. And so using data to really inform their instruction is a cultural shift that needs to happen in order for this to really work and to really be impactful on your site. So as we talk culture today, we're gonna be talking about five components of culture. And these are adapted from Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. So we'll be thinking through resource allocation, behaviors, expectations, safety, and discomfort. So the first component of this, resource allocation, when you're considering how to evaluate your school's culture of data use through that lens of resource allocation, What you really need to be looking at is where and how are stakeholders spending their resources, their time, their money, and their attention. So what data-related initiatives are championed by leadership? What resources has leadership allocated to these? And these could be resources of time, of materials, of trainings, of support personnel like instructional coaches or grade-level chairs, someone to lead any data discussions. One of the really big reasons we have seen initiatives fail is because they are under-resourced. Leaders underestimate the amount of resources that are needed to really shift that culture and make that new initiative become a part of the expectations of the faculty on a daily basis. So the other components to think about when we think about resources are things like what other initiatives and priorities are in competition for resources? And when everything is a priority, nothing is a priority. So when you have faculty meetings and you talk to the teachers about how you want them to use data, you want them to engage in data chats, you want their PLCs to be looking at student data, are there other initiatives that have also been implemented that are really competing for their time and their resources here? 
when you think about this, you'll need to think about what are teachers spending most of their time, their money, their attention on, and then who are those major champions of data use? So is data use something that only the administration is championing? Do you have supporting roles like instructional coaches or counselors or deans or other non-teacher roles who are also championing this data use to inform instruction? Do you have certain teachers or grade level chairs who are really supportive of this? So you're going to need to think through who are those major champions of data use? And then how are those human resources being used? So how are you allocating those resources like counselors, coaches, paraprofessionals to really support these initiatives and to make sure that the data that you're talking about and examining is really followed through. So for example, if you're seeing a link between self-regulation of your students and their ability to perform well on their academic assessments, how is that being followed through with your staff, like your counselors, to work with the students? So the key here is not just identifying those relationships, but also then bringing to bear the resources of the school to really address any concerns that you see or to put those supports in place for the kids. The second aspect that we're going to be looking at for culture is behaviors. So thinking about what behaviors are rewarded and which are penalized. And whenever we talk about this, we don't actually mean a formal system of rewards and penalties where you get points or you lose points if you're not engaging in effective data use. But I'll give you an example. So one of the coaches that we work with told us that she was doing a data-related workshop. She was going to be going over the benchmark data, and the teachers of non-state tested subjects didn't attend her workshop. So in this case, the reward was they got extra planning time. These teachers didn't see the relevance of that workshop to them and to their work with the kids, so they judged it would be worth the risk of any administrative wrath in order to get more time in for themselves. And I think part of it is that the administrators don't realize it's a reward, but the teachers do. And so if you're at a high school level or a middle school level and you have world languages and they are not used to a PLC or PLC model or even working together or looking at data and they're not responsible for any of really the school-wide data, they are out of the loop and they don't know how it applies to them and the administration might not even know how it applies to them. But to the ELA teacher and the math teacher, it really can be like, why am I, why is the responsibility always on me? Why am I the one that's always losing planning time and always being trained how to look at data when people who are at the same level as I am aren't? And so that is one way that it, and and that's a really difficult subject is that it has to be school-wide. It can't just be for the ELA or the mathematics teachers. It has to be that every teacher is responsible for looking at student-level data. So when you think through rewards and penalties for behaviors on your campus, particularly as they pertain to that culture of data use, what behaviors are your faculty engaging in related to data use? So what do you see them doing? What do you see them not doing? And do you see any behaviors that are rewarded or reinforced either positively or negatively? How do those data-related behaviors vary by role? So for example, do you have different expectations for data analysis and data use for your teachers versus your coach versus the administrators on campus versus counselors? So really thinking through those roles and how those expectations differ by role and then how that message is transmitted to the different stakeholders. 
The third component of culture that we're talking about as pertains to data use is expectations. So what expectations are followed, are forced, and ignored? What are those current expectations for data use? And how do your expectations vary by role? If you're seeing different expectations for coaches than for teachers, so for example, some schools have the coaches create the teacher's common assessments and do the data analysis for the teachers. So this can save time for the teachers, which is a plus, but it can also result in less buy-in and less ownership. So really thinking through what are those expectations and how might they vary by role? How are those expectations enforced? And in what ways and by what stakeholders are these expectations followed and ignored? And then as you're thinking through this, Think about what would need to shift for all of the stakeholders to meet these expectations related to data use. The fourth component that we need to think through is safety. So do people feel safe and supported talking about how they feel and what they need? What supports need to be in place for that faculty to effectively use data? How are stakeholders expressing their feelings and their needs related to data? As a leader, how are you receiving requests for support from your team? Using data effectively can really be a big mindset shift and requires substantial training and mentoring. This is typically not something that is covered in great depth in any teacher preparation program. So are you expecting your teachers to go from zero to being data savvy, or are you providing them that support and mentoring? And what happens when they aren't getting the support they need? So do your teachers feel safe asking for help and additional resources? Do your coaches, do your counselors feel safe asking for help and additional resources? What happens a lot in education is that teachers are used to being that most knowledgeable person in the room. They close the doors and they become the sage on the stage. So for many of the teachers, they don't feel safe asking for support. As educators, we talk a lot about growth mindset for our students, but teachers and administrators often have a relationship where the administrator will come into the room to judge and evaluate, and the teacher has to meet those expectations on the rubric in order to get their position renewed next year, some time to be eligible for bonuses, depending on what your particular state, district, and union contract look like. So this in particular requires a culture shift. Typical teacher evaluations don't take that growth mindset into consideration, and there's no rubric that is measuring failing forward. So when teachers are trying something new that doesn't work out as they planned, but is a learning experience and gets them closer to their ultimate goal. So do you have a culture like that where teachers can really feel safe and where, where your assistant principals and where your coaches and your counselors can all feel safe asking for help and support and also feel safe talking about their particular data. So the safety is a big piece here because one of the tendencies, particularly of teachers, is to take their student data very personally. And sometimes we've seen administrators do the same thing, assign that data personally to teachers. And so it becomes a system of rewards and penalties. Oh, your students didn't meet these expectations and therefore there must be something wrong with your instruction. So that culture of safety around data use is really different. We're thinking about shifting that mindset where instead of it being an absolute all or nothing, right or wrong, it becomes, let's get curious about this data, let's ask more questions, and let's really think through, okay, if something isn't working, 
what do we need to do to shift that? How are we going to help the students? Because the end game is not to blame anyone. The end game is really to get the kids the support that they need to succeed in their learning. And then the last piece we need to talk about is discomfort. So what's that collective tolerance among your faculty for discomfort? So is that discomfort of learning, of trying new things, of giving and receiving feedback normalized? What happens on your campus when something new is introduced? Whether it's a new program, new curriculum maps, new assessment initiatives, what happens when something new is introduced? How is feedback given and received? And who has the opportunity to give feedback and to receive feedback? We've seen so many schools where feedback is a one-way street and it flows from administrator to teachers. And that's where it ends. There's no opportunity for teachers to then provide feedback to administration. But once you've got that safety in place and that tolerance for discomfort, if that has become part of your culture, then teachers are going to feel comfortable asking for help and letting you know what's not working when you're having them try something new. And they're going to be okay with getting it wrong sometimes. When you're thinking about sharing data and you're thinking about, I'm going to share my data with my principal, I'm going to share my data with my other teachers, I'm going to share my data with my coach, there might be a level of discomfort with that as well. And somebody said that sharing data was scary. And that can be really hard because it's hard if somebody else is more successful. It's difficult if you are working, like depending on your school and where you're at, sometimes students are grouped based on their master schedule. So you might have a large number of students who have special needs or maybe English language learners, and they aren't scoring as high on any sort of standards-based assessment. And then you go to share that data and without an understanding of, you know, it's more difficult or they need scaffolds or a dictionary or something else, that can be really scary your first year out. It can also be really scary for new teachers who we have a lot of, of teachers with alternative certification. And so they're learning how to teach while they're teaching. And that can be really scary to share your data if you're not really 100% sure you know what you're doing and you don't necessarily always feel like you're successful in the classroom. And now you have to share your data. And so these are all places where this feedback loop comes in and making a really safe environment and allowing them to find discomfort kind of all go together as one. So in our next episode, we're going to be talking about the flip side of this culture of data-informed instruction, which is really digging into how do you get your teachers to start using their data? So what are some steps that you can take right away to begin shifting your school to that culture of data-informed instruction. And if this is something that is resonating with you and you're excited about this and you want to begin making that shift on your campus, but you're not sure where to start, please go to our website. Under our services, there's an opportunity to set up a completely complimentary consultation with us. And we can just talk things through with you and see where you are and some ways that we can support and help you as you're going through this process. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today.